Donald Trump and his allies did everything they possibly could, tried every possible avenue to overthrow a democratic election Correct. and install an authoritarian ruler in defiance of the people's will. That's right. It was an attempted coup. Yep. Yep. But just because he did not succeed in overthrowing American democracy does not mean he did not try. He certainly did try. And it wasn't a coup, it was a theft. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. An attempted theft. I had the feeling of something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis-St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk Blanketing. Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. We've got a lot to get to, including the breaking news right here at the top of the show that uh, California is now announcing it will reinstitute a statewide mask mandate in all indoor public spaces as Omicron fuels a surge in COVID-19 cases. How do you feel about that, Desi Doyen? Actually, I feel just fine. I think it's probably the easiest thing that anyone can do to help protect their community. That's because you're uh, just uh, rolling over again for the man. Apparently, <laughs> you mean somebody who cares about is. their community and is willing to take the even that's the most minor possible effort to do so? Yeah, that's me. That's you. All right, well... I'm with you there, Des, uh, and uh, we'll see if uh, the rest of the uh, state is. But that's one of the reasons why in the state of California, even though we early on had uh, some of the worst hospitalization and case and, and death rates, we are now something like number the fourth or fifth lowest in the nation because we are proactive here in the state. At least some of us are, so I'm fine with that. Um, as referenced at the top of the show there, uh, we will be talking about the new evidence underscoring the case that we've been trying to lay out on this show for quite some time. 
We have some new evidence to that end. Uh, the, the case that Donald Trump and his criminal cronies in both government and working for his campaign blatantly attempted to steal the 2020 presidential election. They didn't question it. They didn't find evidence of possible fraud. They didn't try to reverse the, the results or overturn it. Even using the word coup, I'm not satisfied with because it's kind of confusing. After all, it was they were in charge at the time that this happened. So a coup? Well, that doesn't seem exactly right. Well, a self-coup? Yeah, an auto-coup? An auto—what's that other word, Des? Yeah, it's a terrible word. It's an auto-gulpe. An auto-gulpe, which nobody knows what it means. So Completely let me, unhelpful. Let me make this easy for you. They tried— to steal the election. They tried to steal it from you, from the American voters. Nothing more and nothing less. And they even threw a violent mob of their shock troops at the U.S. Capitol when they couldn't steal the election any other way, when all of their other attempts to steal the presidency had failed. Anyway, we will get to that shortly, get to that new evidence, uh, making this plain as day as if it wasn't already. Uh, but we've got some opening business here I need to take care of and an horrific tragedy that is still playing out that we also need to hit today first. Uh, as to the business, I need to thank our friend Nicole Sandler for filling in for Desi and me on Friday's broadcast with some excellent information uh, on Medicare and the various privatization schemes that you need to know about and to be careful of, uh, including Medigap, Medicare Advantage, and, and other very useful information on that program. You can download her Friday broadcast on that for free, as always, at bradblog.com. She was kind enough to sit in for us on Friday so that uh, Desi and I could go get our booster shots, finally. After waiting a month or so out here before we were able to get an appointment for one, and as with my second Moderna shot, you may recall, after which I was laid out for about a day and a half at least with fever and chills and headaches, etc., well... Yeah, I was knocked out again uh, over the weekend, uh, the, but maybe for a little bit shorter time, maybe 24 hours or so rather than a full day and a half. And yes, it was awful. But again, as with after my second Moderna shot, I was reminded yet again that if there is if, if this was anything like what real COVID is actually like, well, I am more than happy to suffer through it for a day or even a day and a half, knowing that in this case, it's expected after the shots for many of us, and it will definitely be going away in a day or so, which I wouldn't be able to say if I had been infected with actual COVID and worried about dying from it. So, yeah, please go get your booster shots if you haven't already. It's well worth it, given what we are learning about increasing Delta cases and, yes, about the uh, protection afforded to the much more transmissible Omicron variant, which has now been found in at least 25 states as of Monday morning. How'd the booster go for you, Desi Doyen? Well, uh, I was similar to my experience with the second shot. Uh -huh. It wasn't that bad for me uh -huh. at all. I was yeah. a little tired. I took a nap. This time, yeah. you know, I did. It felt like a, I had a flu coming on, but it uh -huh. never showed up. Yeah. And so I took a nap. That you was were it. fine. Yeah, I was. You fine. were fine. Yeah. 
Uh, sorry to hear about your immune system, that it is so weakened <laughs> and pathetic, Desi Doyen, that you can't even respond. So I, I hope you're okay. I'm totally okay? fine. Thank I don't you know. so much. You don't look well. Uh, That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it was actually pretty easy for me. Sorry. <laughs> Shut up. All right. Anyway, uh, I'm glad it was easy for you. And uh, I hope that everyone will uh, take our advice. Go get your shots. Please. Please. Uh, on to the, uh, the weekend's tragedy now, um, as I, I try to get caught up with a lot of what, uh, you know, when I was pretty knocked out for much of the weekend, uh, I'm, I'm playing a lot of catch up here, and I suspect it's going to take us several days to fully get caught up on this program this week. But as AP reports, uh, the latest this afternoon, residents of Kentucky counties where tornadoes killed several dozen people could be without heat, water, or electricity in frigid temperatures for weeks or longer, according to state officials on Monday, as the toll of the damage and the deaths came into clearer focus in five states that were slammed by a swarm of twisters in mid-December. Kentucky authorities said the sheer level of destruction was hindering their ability to tally the devastation from Friday night's storms. At least 74 people now were killed in Kentucky alone, though officials believe the death toll um, will hopefully be lower than they had initially feared, feared since it appeared uh, many more people escaped a candle factory that was devastated in Mayfield, Kentucky, <clears throat> than originally thought. Four twisters in all are believed to have hit Kentucky, including one with an extraordinarily long path of about 200 miles, according to authorities. Here's Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir with the latest on the damage and the death tolls as of Monday morning. We lost lives in at least eight counties, and at least 18 counties suffered damage. As of this morning, our best count for confirmed deaths, uh, the most accurate count we have as of this morning, are 64 Kentuckians. Just a few more facts about those we've, we've lost. Uh, 18 are still unidentified. Um, of the ones that we know, the age... The age range is five months to 86 years, and six are younger than 18. I know like the folks in, in Western Kentucky, um, I'm not doing so well today, and I'm not sure how many of us uh, are. I was working on getting the confirmed deaths this morning and realized I was writing on the back of, uh, of notes that one of my kids took from uh, school. And here's what um, what it is. It's, it's notes on inertia. It means that an object that's in motion will stay in motion. So we're going to keep putting one foot in front of the other and push through this. Um, everybody out there, get the help you need. Take care of yourself and we'll continue to, to provide updates. Um, people of Western Kentucky, we're not going anywhere. We're going to be with you today. We're going to be with you tomorrow. And, and we're going to be there with you to rebuild. This is one state, people that love one another. And um, I think everybody in Kentucky, but also everybody in the country, 
is is standing with you. Again, that was uh, Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir on Monday morning when the death toll at that time was 64. Just before airtime, it has been bumped up to 74 in Kentucky alone, uh, where the governor said we're not going to let any of our families go homeless. He said in announcing that lodges in state parks were being used to provide shelter. In Mayfield, Kentucky, one of the hardest hit towns, uh, those who survived face a high in the 50s and a low below freezing on Monday, that without any utilities. According to uh, the Mayfield mayor, Kathy Stewart Onan, uh, she said, our infrastructure is so damaged, <clears throat> we have no running water. Our water tower was lost. Our wastewater management was lost. There's no natural gas to the city, so we have nothing to rely on there. So that is purely survival at this point for so many of our people, she said. Across the state, about 26,000 homes and businesses were without electricity. More than 10,000 homes and businesses have no water. Another 17,000 are under boil water advisories. Kentucky was the worst hit by far in the cluster of twisters across several states. Uh, Remarkable because they came in at a time of year when cold weather normally limits tornadoes. There were at least another 14 deaths in four other states as well. In addition to the deaths in Kentucky, the tornadoes also killed at least six in Illinois, where an Amazon distribution center in Edwardsville was hit, four in Tennessee, two in Arkansas, where a nursing home was destroyed. And the governor uh, said workers shielded residents with their own bodies and two in my old home state of Missouri. The several deaths at the Amazon warehouse in Edwardsville is very near St. Louis, where I grew up. And I can tell you, a tornado in December was at least at that time, at least to my knowledge, pretty much unheard of, much less dozens of them across several states in December. As longtime friend of the show and uh, meteorologist Guy Walton tweeted out on Friday night as it was becoming quite clear what was about to happen even before the worst of the storms hit that night, uh, he tweeted out, It's this simple. Any destruction produced by this December tornado outbreak event was made possible by a warming atmosphere caused by excess carbon pollution. Such an event would be far less likely in cooler decades. So, uh, Desi Doyen, this is your beat. Uh, What's going on here? And are corporate media outlets appropriately connecting the climate change dots uh, as you've been able to determine uh, over the past couple of days uh, since this uh, disaster struck? Well, first of all, yes, this outbreak does stand out from anything that has been previously seen during the month of December and potentially, depending upon, you know, when we get the full data from the National Weather Service in coming weeks, potentially it could be maybe any month that this stands out as a record tornado outbreak. But we don't know that quite yet. Yeah. Um, and as far as the corporate media coverage, it has, uh, I haven't, of course, been able to canvas all of it, and there will be studies that will come out on how well they did on this particular uh, extreme weather disaster. Um, but pretty so far, I've seen a few that have connected the climate dots, but mostly they have not. Mostly they've just focused on the tragedy and uh, and how bad things are. Um, a couple like CBS... Instead, <laughs> instead of explaining why this is happening, why this is happening in December. Look, I understand, you know, we opened there obviously talking about what's going on on the ground and the and the death, the death toll and, and so forth and what people are struggling with. 
But, you know, if that's where it ends, if that's where the coverage ends, if we don't explain why this is happening over and over again, why it is happening so late into the season, this isn't the season, this isn't tornado season, why it's so happening so late after the season, uh, even while in Congress right now, they are, you know, debating spending uh, half a trillion dollars to do something about climate change. If we don't connect those dots, well, we in the media are not doing our jobs to inform the uh, the electorate. I'm sorry, I cut you off. But <laughs> no, I'm that's okay. Infuriated. I would say I, I did see CBS did a pretty good job of connecting the dots with climate change and showing how it is increasing the incidence good. of major tornado outbreaks. Good. So just to be clear, now we do see tornadoes in December in some areas, but not at this magnitude, not with this severity, not with this kind of cluster, and not with this length of time on the ground, especially that supercell that uh, it appears was on the ground for more than 200 miles. Mm. Our first quad state tornado in December. That would be four states. It went across four states in the month of December. That has not happened before. Mm. So, um, what the, of course, the big question here is... Uh, what is the role of climate change in all of this? Mm -hmm. And yes, yeah, scientific evidence does already link these man-made global warming to these severe extreme weather systems, and it is increasingly linked to massive tornado outbreaks, particularly in the U.S. Southeast, particularly in the winter. So just to be clear, human-caused climate change doesn't appear to be making violent U.S. tornadoes any more frequent, but it does seem to be making the outbreaks more frequent. Mm. So not single, but a cluster of them, which, you know, are far more dangerous. Um, it also does seem to be uh, increasing the risk of nighttime tornadoes, especially mm. in the southeast, where they don't usually see tornadoes in the month of December. And they're not actually prepared to have tornadoes at night because you can't see them at yeah. night. But nights and winters are warming faster in the U.S. than at any other time of day and in the other season. Um, and also there's another shift that we do seem to be having that we've observed, that scientists say they have observed in both the location and the timing of tornado threats. Um, they appear to be moving further east. Tornado Alley is shifting eastward. Instead mm. of Kansas and Oklahoma, it's moving into southeastern states mm. where it's colliding with the Gulf warm, the warm air and that's humid and moist from the Gulf. And the, uh, the tornado alley moving then is moving into areas that are more populated than the densely, the, than mm. the un- regular Urban, rural yeah. areas yes, in Oklahoma and, and so forth. Yeah. Right. And, and in a lot of ways, tornadoes go unreported out in unpopulated right. areas. Right. So we don't have a whole lot of data on individual tornado statistics, but the outbreaks are unmistakable. And so moving into farther in the southeast, uh, again, more nighttime tornadoes and without the kind of building codes that would protect people. They're, you know, they don't have storm shelters. They don't they don't mm -hmm. have basements. They uh, unlike in some states like Kansas and Oklahoma, where they are mandated for certain types right. of businesses and for schools and homes. So, see, was that was that so hard? I mean, you know, there's things we don't know. There's answers we don't have. It's obviously, you know, just uh, occurring in the past, where are we now, 24, 72 hours. We don't know everything. But informing the listeners, informing the viewers about uh, what is happening, about how things are changing, about how decisions being made in Washington, D.C. and around the world are affecting all of our lives. This is not just, you know, an, oh, look, another incident of uh, terrible weather that happened. 
There is a reason why this is happening. There is a reason why these uh, storms are getting more intense and why we're having these uh, late season uh, tornado uh, uh, clusters. You know, we if and if we don't explain it, if we don't talk about it, if we don't make it clear, well, then the bad guys uh, continue to get away with the behavior that has led us to this point in the first place. Yes, big oil is very happy if we don't have this discussion. Yes. And, and Dr. Michael Mann, the climate scientist from Penn State University, yeah. he was on Democracy Now! explaining that very connection between the uh, carbon pollution that is put out by the fossil fuel industry that they have fought against any kinds of, uh, of, of laws or regulations to to rein in this carbon pollution that is intensifying these extreme weather events and how this is going to get worse over the next decades unless we take action. Um, that's uh, clip number two. It's uh, Dr. Michael Mann explaining how this, how climate change does affect these tornadoes that we're seeing. Make no mistake, we have been seeing an increase in these massive tornado outbreaks that can be attributed to the warming of the planet. But what's going to happen here, we're going to continue to see that climate change is going to combine with natural factors like the La Nina event that we're experiencing to produce ever more extreme examples of these sorts of phenomena. That's our friend, uh, climatologist Michael Mann of University of Pennsylvania on, uh, you say, on Democracy Now. Yes. So uh, many of these stations uh, play Democracy Now. However, if you watch NBC, CBS, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, who knows what they're covering uh, as usual, not informing the electorate. All right. Uh, thank you very much for that report, Desiree. Well, let's take a quick break here. And uh, speaking of informing the electorate, new evidence of Donald Trump's attempt to steal the 2020 election from the American people. That is also not being reported as clearly as it should be. We'll uh, walk you through that new evidence, even though much of it is what we've uh, been reporting now for the past year on this show. But uh, I guess we have to keep repeating it and uh, giving you more and more details as uh, as it comes in. So that's straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Welcome back. Brad Cast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, late last week, Congresswoman Liz Cheney, Republican of Wyoming and vice chair of the U.S. House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol, tweeted out, quote, the committee has already met with nearly 300 witnesses. We are conducting multiple depositions and interviews every week. She said we have received exceptionally interesting and important documents from a number of witnesses, including Mark Meadows, she says. He has turned over many texts from his private cell phone from January 6th. 
She says we have litigated and won Trump's executive privilege case in federal district court. The federal appellate court has expedited the appeal, and we anticipate a ruling regarding many more Trump White House documents soon. The investigation is firing on all cylinders, she said. Do not be misled. President Trump is trying to hide what happened on January 6th and to delay and obstruct. We will not let that happen. The truth will come out vowed Liz Cheney, and frankly, I believe her. The truth is beginning to come out. One of the many questions now is, will our corporate media properly report on what is coming out and what has already come out? That part of the question is unclear, so as usual, we will do our best to inform the electorate here on the broadcast No matter how the corporate media may or may not be downplaying these issues, including a direct and sustained attempt by the former president of the United States to simply steal, to steal the 2020 presidential election, which he lost. It was nothing more and certainly nothing less than that. Over the weekend, you may have heard about this PowerPoint presentation. Uh, That has come to light as part of the documents that were turned over by Trump's last chief of staff, Mark Meadows, before he suddenly decided to stop coordinating. I'm sorry, cooperating with the uh, January 6th committee, almost certainly under the orders of Donald Trump, who's might uh, who's who's very furious right now at Meadows for for noting in his new book that Trump was known to have been infected with covid before he participated in one of last year's debates with Joe Biden. After that news broke, the former disgraced twice impeached president got pretty upset and suddenly Mark Meadows stopped cooperating with the January 6th committee. So uh, I want to explain a bit of what this PowerPoint was, what it said, what it didn't, what it was meant to do, because essentially, as it turns out, as I read it, it's pretty much the Rosetta Stone for how Trump and his administration and his campaign With the apparent cooperation of a bunch of members of Congress and a bunch of elected officials in the states, election officials, state legislators, how they attempted, but thankfully barely failed to steal an American presidential election right before our very eyes last year and right up to January 6th of this year, uh, which was their sort of last gasp, their last attempt to do exactly that and to do it at that point by brute, deadly force. As the New York Times led in its uh, coverage of this uh, new document, or at least this document that is now just coming to light over the weekend, the House committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol is scrutinizing a 38-page PowerPoint document filled with extreme plans to overturn the 2020 election that Mark Meadows, the last chief of staff to President Trump, has turned over to the panel. Extreme plans to overturn the 2020 election. How about steal the 2020 election, New York Times? The document recommended that Mr. Trump declare a national emergency to delay the certification of the election results and included a claim that China and Venezuela had obtained control over the voting infrastructure in a majority of states. 
Now, of course, I am obligated to jump in at this point to cover this story, if only due to the references in this document to Venezuela, because these claims are taken directly from my exclusive reporting at bradblog.com. No, not from this year, but from way back from 2008 to about 2010 regarding Venezuela's involvement with an electronic voting system vendor that, in fact, is not actually involved in any of the states that Team Trump was challenging and hoping to uh, use to steal the 2020 election. I know the stuff that they are citing did not happen because I was the one they relied on for these claims and they completely bastardized what I actually correctly reported at the time and that I still stand uh, still stand by in order to fit their false claims of election theft, including uh, zero evidence to actually back up these wild, inaccurate and in many cases impossible claims as uh, cited in this PowerPoint presentation and used to rally their troops to steal the election on false 100 percent evidence free claims. But I guess anybody can make a claim in a PowerPoint document if you don't have to include evidence, you know, to back it up. Yeah. And I think it's clear that your reporting that they have bastardized and uh, completely mutilated that reporting that you made was accurate because unlike the folks on Team Trump, yes. you are not being sued by any of those voting machine Correct. companies. Correct. Yeah, I'm glad you noticed. Thank you for noticing. Uh, Phil Waldron, a retired Army colonel and an influential voice in the movement to challenge the election, as the New York Times describes it, to steal the election, New York Times. Uh, Waldron said on Friday from a bar that he owns outside of Austin, Texas, that he was the one circulating the document. It's unclear if he actually wrote it. We think it might be that Jovan Pulitzer dude whose name is not actually Jovan or Pulitzer at all. Anyway, this document is titled Election Fraud, Foreign Interference and Options for 6 January among uh, Mr. Trump's allies and on Capitol Hill before the attack, Waldron was circulating this document, apparently. Waldron said that he did not personally send the document to Mark Meadows, but that it was possible someone on his team, which uh, I believe is this group calling itself ASOG or Allied Security Operations Group. Sounds uh, very important, doesn't it? Very macho. Uh, they had passed this along, uh, perhaps, to the former chief of staff. That is one of the things the January 6th Commission is trying to figure out. As The Guardian reports on this document, the fact that Meadows was in possession of a PowerPoint the day before the Capitol attack that detailed ways to stage a coup suggests that he was at least aware of efforts by Trump and his allies to stop Joe Biden's certification from taking place on January 6th. Of course, he was aware. Not only was he aware, but further reporting from The Washington Post finds that Phil Waldron, who was circulating this document, actually met with Mark Meadows anywhere from eight to ten times in the lead up to January 6th, and that Waldron met, in fact, at times with Trump himself in the White House. Meadows knew everything. Everything that was going on here, he was with Trump all day on January 6th as his chief of staff. And of course, uh, he was aware of everything. That's his job as chief of staff. 
uh, he knows everything that the president did, everything, anybody that he spoke to from basically from Election Day on November 3rd up until the attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, which is why his cooperation with the House committee is so important. And it's also, I guess, why he's no longer cooperating with them and why he will soon be held in criminal contempt for it, for refusing, in fact, to testify, to answer a lawful subpoena and testify uh, about the president of the United States efforts with a whole bunch of accomplices, including Meadows, to steal the 2020 election. So the PowerPoint made several recommendations for Trump to pursue in order to uh, retain the presidency for a second term. Nice way to put it. On the basis of what The Guardian calls lies and debunked conspiracies about widespread election fraud. Meadows turned over a version of the PowerPoint presentation that he received in an email that spanned 38 pages. The Guardian reviewed a second 36-page version of the PowerPoint that was marked for dissemination with uh, with January 5 metadata. In other words, it looked to have been created on January 5, the 36-page version, which had some differences with what the select from what the uh, select committee received via Mark Meadows. But the title of the presentation and its recommendations remained the same, according to The Guardian. Senators and members of Congress should first be briefed about foreign interference, the uh, PowerPoint said. At which point Trump could then declare a national emergency. He could declare all electronic uh, voting valid. I'm sorry, all electronic voting invalid. Whatever that might mean. Do they mean all electronic counting of ballots? If so, that's pretty much every single ballot in the country. Does he mean every uh, ballot that was actually created by a computer? And we're supposed to invalidate that? Unclear. Uh, And then as the uh, PowerPoint uh, directs, uh, then uh, Trump would ask Congress to agree on a constitutionally acceptable remedy. Now, the only conceivable such constitutionally acceptable remedy at that point, would be throwing out the entire election, tossing the entire matter to the U.S. House, where Trump would be declared the winner of the election based on a one-vote-per-state vote that would be held to determine who would be the next president. Since Republicans at the time controlled a majority of state delegations in the House, even though they didn't have a majority of the seats, They were in control of a majority of the state delegations, and this vote would happen under a one vote per state uh, vote, in which case Republicans control more of those states than do Democrats. So presumably Trump would be reinstalled for a second term election stolen. Now, to make all of this easier, the PowerPoint also outlines uh, three options a nice menu of options for the then vice president, Mike Pence, to uh, abuse his largely ceremonial role at the joint session of Congress on January 6th, when Biden was supposed to be certified uh, for president. He was eventually certified, although it didn't happen until January 7, about uh, four o'clock in the morning. 
Uh, but the options were for Mike Pence to uh, choose between. All of them would have ended up returning Trump to the White House through any of those three options. Of the three options for Pence, the PowerPoint said, uh, seat Trump slates of electors over the objections of Democrats in key states. In other words, use that one vote per state option in state after state to go ahead and just choose different electors entirely, different electors than the ones that were actually elected by the people in those states. Let the House override that over the objections of Democrats. But, oh, well, sorry, that was one option. Um, Or they could delay the certification to allow for a, quote, vetting and counting of only, quote, legal paper ballots. What does that mean? And who would decide which paper ballots were actually legal? Well, according to this document, this would all pretty much be taken over by the National Guard and or the U.S. Marshals who were under the command of Donald Trump at the at the time. Oh, that sounds legit. The final option for Pence uh, is similar to an option that was being simultaneously uh, put forward on January 4 and 5 by Trump lieutenants led by lawyers Rudy Giuliani and John Eastman, as well as Trump strategist Steve Bannon. They were all working from the Willard Hotel in Washington, D.C., right near the White House. It was not a coincidence that they were all recommending the very same thing. They were all working from the same game plan. This was the game plan. This document spells out the game plan. It laid it all out, and it was to be shared with members on the Hill, according to Mark Meadows. And it was apparently shared with members on the Hill, along with members of state legislatures around the country, we are now learning. This was the plan to steal the 2020 election. It was not meant to question the results. It was not meant to present evidence of fraud, to review the counts, to make sure they were accurate. It it was meant to overturn the election. It was meant to steal it from the American people. And it would really be helpful at this point if the mainstream corporate media and, by the way, Democrats in Congress and elsewhere began referring to it as such. Because you know what? A coup, a question, an auto gulpe is that what is not real helpful. Republicans understand that words matter. Democrats don't seem to get that. So, uh, yes, this was an attempt to steal the election by Donald Trump and all of his minions. Yes, and it was not haphazard. It was planned and coordinated to steal the 2020 election among a big group of Republicans and Trump and Trump's minions. After most of the uh, schemes and claims that are detailed in the PowerPoint ended up falling flat, of course, the last option was then to throw a mob of Trump supporters at the U.S. Capitol to try to physically stop the certification of Joe Biden's election victory, to force the matter then at that point to be decided ultimately by the GOP majority of state delegations at the House. And none of this was a surprise. They all knew this. They were all working in lockstep. Steve Bannon knew exactly what was going on and made that very clear to his listeners on the day before the attempted insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, which is why he doesn't want to testify to the uh, uh, U.S. House committee under oath, which is why he's now facing contempt of Congress charges. But on January 5th, Steve Bannon knew what was happening. 
on his show called The War Room. He said, quote, Mitch McConnell's got to start taking care and focusing on these senators. This was on January 5 on his podcast, because this is going to be very controversial. Bannon said, we are going into uncharted waters. We're going into something that's never happened before in American history. Tomorrow, he said, it's going. We're pulling the trigger on something that's going to be. It's going to be minute by minute, hour by hour. What happens? The stakes couldn't be higher right now, he said. It's not going to happen like you think it's going to happen, said Bannon. Okay, it's going to be quite extraordinarily different, he said. All I can say is strap in. You made this happen, and tomorrow it's game day, he said. So strap in. Let's get ready. It's all converging, and now we're on the point of attack tomorrow. They were all working in concert. They knew exactly what they were doing. They knew exactly where they were going. The Guardian revealed last week that sometime between the late evening of January 5 and the early hours of January 6, after Pence declined to go ahead with these plans, Trump then pressed his lieutenants about how they could stop Biden's certification from taking place entirely. The recommendations in the PowerPoint for both Trump and Pence were based on wild and unsubstantiated claims of election fraud, says The Guardian, including that, quote, the Chinese systematically gained control over our election system in eight key battleground states. Now, I have spent years reporting on the vulnerability of electronic computerized voting and tabulation systems. If you've read bradblog.com, if you've listened to the Bradcast, you know that I have uh, covered that issue probably more than anyone in the entire nation uh, on a national basis. Could China have done what was claimed in this PowerPoint document? Could China have systematically gained control over our election system in key states? Sure. Yeah. Yes. It's possible in a number of different ways. But all of those ways would have resulted in findable evidence being left behind if this had been done so completely in so many different states. I suppose it's still possible that someone somehow uh, might find such evidence that China systematically took control of our election system. But so far, in one of the most closely examined elections in our nation's history, nobody has found any evidence to suggest as much. And they certainly had no such evidence when they were making these false claims after November 3rd in this PowerPoint document and in the lead up to January 6th. They had no evidence. Otherwise, they would have included it in this document. They would have included it anywhere. They were making it up out of whole cloth. They were using legitimate reports like mine of things that could happen, how elections could be stolen or interfered with. And just skipping the middle step and just making the claims that it was stolen and that it was interfered with, despite any actual evidence to back up their false claims. It is not enough to say that it could happen. So they just said it did happen. But if there was any evidence, you know, frankly, if I, I would have no problem reporting it out myself. 
And I have examined pretty much all of the claims that have been made since November by these people, and none of them prove out to either be true or supported by actual independently verifiable evidence. But that did not stop the coup plotters who were hoping to steal the election. The PowerPoint uh, was, was presented on the 4th of January to a number of Republican senators and members of Congress. Really? Who? That will be interesting to learn, won't it? The select committee said that they uh, did find in the materials turned over by Meadows his text messages with a member of Congress who told Meadows very early on after uh, November 3rd about a, quote, highly controversial plan to send slates of electors for Trump to that joint session of Congress. Meadows replied in return, quote, I love it. Prior. Of course, to the deadly storms over the weekend, Hawaii's uh, Democratic U.S. Senator Brian Schatz tweeted out about all of this, quote, can someone explain to me why this isn't the only thing in the news? Good question, Senator. He said, I deeply respect the fourth estate, but holy bleep, they had a plan to just end democracy. And is the press going to be like, quote, are Democrats using the wrong words again? Well, I'm going to be like that because the Democrats are using the wrong word, uh, wrong words. The Democrats are not saying that this was an attempt to steal the election. And they should, because that's something that the American people understand. In reaction to the uh, leak of this PowerPoint, California Democratic Representative Eric Swalwell tweeted, quote, how boldly are Republicans trying to overthrow the Biden government? They had a PowerPoint plan. Why were they so bold? Because they think you and the DOJ don't care and thus they can't be stopped. We are in a battle for democracy. It is on life support, said Swalwell. A former senior advisor to President Obama, Dan Pfeiffer, tweeted out, Hey, America, the GOP put the plan to overthrow the government in a effing PowerPoint. In a tweet posted late on Thursday, Minnesota Democratic uh, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar called the document, quote, a plan for a coup. She said we need to get serious about what the consequences should be for that. Yes, we do. And we will be discussing exactly that in the week ahead and probably beyond, along with uh, the question from time to time, where is Merrick Garland right now? So. Just to give you an idea of of some of the nonsense that is in this uh, 38-page document that served as the game plan for the entire Stop the Steal election movement, so-called. As the UK uh, Independent describes, it echoes a series of false claims based on Donald Trump's so-called big lie that the 2020 election was stolen from him through fraud. The defeated president and his supporters set out a series of allegations which were all subsequently discredited. Many of the actions recommended in the presentation also match up with the ideas floated by other key allies of former President Trump, including Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, in hopes of keeping him in the White House for a second term in defiance of the wishes of American voters. The document states under the heading talking points, quote, the Chinese systematically gained control over our election system, constituting a national security emergency. The electronic voting machines were compromised and cannot be trusted to provide an accurate vote count. The presentation, the presentation adds again, there is no evidence that they were compromised. 
even if electronic tabulators should never simply be trusted to provide an accurate vote count. But the coup plotters, they were not here, uh, you know, pointing out concerns about these systems. They had these are the same folks who had, who had ignored concerns about these systems for years, who had made fun of people like me for pointing these things out. I remember one of the last uh, things that Andrew Breitbart tweeted out to me right before he dropped dead a day or two later. Uh, mockingly, uh, a tweet that you can still find now toward to, to, to me at the Brad blog on Twitter. Debold, 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 debold. He thought it was hilarious. So these very same people who had ignored all of these concerns for years, now they've decided, well, the entire thing was compromised. The electronic tabulators were were compromised. We have to throw out all the votes. But they were not pointing to concerns, these concerns, you know, that 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 ballots should be counted by hand to determine if they were tabulated correctly or not. They were claiming without evidence that they were not tabulated correctly. And they were pretending that they knew that to be the case. They didn't know that to be the case. They couldn't know that to be the case because they hadn't actually counted them at that point. And whenever they did count them by hand, they by and large found that they, oh, what do you know? They were tabulated correctly. To restore confidence, the president, uh, the presentation suggested the failsafe of counting paper ballots should be used to determine who won the election for president, senators and congressional representatives, said another talking point. No problem. I would have uh, had no problem with that. But that's not what they were calling for. They were falsely claiming that the results were inaccurate. They had zero evidence in support of it on a slide entitled Summary of Domestic Voter Fraud. The presentation submitted to the January 6th committee claims that, quote, double voters, deceased voters, out of state and out of county voters, non-citizens or felon voters, fake ballot or ballot stuffing and other illegal ballots were used in eight states. Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Georgia, Nevada, Arizona and New Mexico. What do you know? All the states that actually flipped to Biden or that Trump would need to flip back had all of these pretend voter fraud problems that Republicans have been claiming have been pretending exist for years, but they've never been able to actually demonstrate that those were the states that they focused on where they claim that all of these things they have been pretending about for years actually happened, even without any evidence. And that's, of course, why they couldn't demonstrate that it happened. They couldn't give the evidence that it happened in the past and they couldn't do it now. Certainly not now when they began to make these claims in their effort to steal the election from you, from the voters in a violent, lie-filled, attempted coup. They made lies about the Smartmatic software that was uh, that I wrote about in 2010 at bradblog.com and claiming that it was used to steal the elections. Uh, uh, And here's the deal. Smartmatic software was not used in any of these key states where they claimed that it was used. None of them. The only place where the Smartmatic company had software in use in 2020 was here in Los Angeles on our terrible new touchscreen systems that were used for the very first time this past year. 
Other than that, Smartmatic has no software, no contracts in use in the rest of the country. They are competitors with ESNS and Dominion, which this document said were also used to somehow steal the elections. Anyway, that's what my coverage was about from 2008 to 2010. It focused on that before it was then twisted around to make many of these ridiculous claims. When reporting resumed after they claimed that uh, the counting had stopped in several states, when it resumed, a massive spike occurred that favored Joe Biden. The counting never actually stopped, as they claimed. But when Donald Trump was leading, yes, in the early reporting of results, it was because those were Election Day results and because Trump had lied about the coronavirus and many more Republicans than Democrats voted at the polling place. So it looked like he was ahead until the vote by mail results were later added in. And yes, the results changed to favor Biden. None of this was a surprise, but they showed these uh, these graphs in the uh, uh, in this PowerPoint presentation as if it means fixing the vote. Vote injections. All of it nonsense. There was never any mystery about this. We told you on this program before Election Day, we explained exactly what it was going to look like when those results were tallied, that Trump was going to be leading in many of the states until the uh, late vote by mail uh, ballots began to uh, get added into the totals. It was no mystery. It was certainly not evidence of fraud, even though they were all convincing themselves of that using this document to get their stories straight with each other. There's a lot more that I could go through, but you know what? We got to take a quick break here. Yes, yeah, I know. Have, I mean, I, the point is that they have boat bogus fraud allegations because yep. all they needed was the pretext, yep. the pretext in order to try to stop the certification on January 6th in order to enact the rest of this plot to steal the election. So they didn't need the evidence. They just needed the pretext. To pretend, to pretend that it was being stolen from them when what they were doing in front of all of our eyes was trying to steal it themselves. Because Donald Trump, Trump sucks at everything. They did not succeed, but that was the attempt. Let me give you a few more uh, thoughts on this after we return from a break here uh, with some of the information from the uh, from the text from the contempt citation that is now moving forward in the House against Mark Meadows, which gives us uh, a few more chilling clues about where all of this is going. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast. My friends, Ron R. is a low rider. Uh, happy belated birthday to our friend Ron R. out here in L.A. Uh, from LaDonna to Ron. Uh, she writes, I'm making this donation in honor of your friend Ron's birthday. I know he's a big fan. It would be great if you would give him another shout out. Thanks, LaDonna. Well, I'm happy to. Happy birthday, Ron. Belatedly. I meant to do this last week and kind of lost track, and I don't know why. Uh, but anyway, Des, hey, perhaps this is a new fundraising uh, plan for us. Long-distant di- uh, dedications, just like <laughs> Casey Kasem. Okay, maybe. Even though I think LaDonna and Ron are both in L.A. But anyway, uh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, all right, just to sort of wrap this up and to look forward a bit, we've got a few more hints of what the— 
U.S. House Select Committee investigating January 6th is actually homing in on from their contempt citation against Mark Meadows. Uh, Mr. Meadows exchanged text messages with and provided guidance to an organizer of the January 6th rally on the ellipse after the organizer told him that, quote, things have gotten crazy and I desperately need some direction, please. Meadows sent an email to an individual about the events on January 6th and said the National Guard would be present to, quote, protect pro-Trump people. And that many more would be available on standby. Protect pro-Trump people? From whom? And what about the anti-Trump pro-Biden people? Did the White House plan to protect them? If so, from whom? Why would they need protection? Meadows participated in a meeting in, in, in meetings and calls during which the participants reportedly discussed the need to, quote, fight back against, quote, mounting evidence of purported voter fraud, even though there was no such evidence. Uh, he met with uh, members of Congress. Really? Which members? I would love to know. He participated in uh, another call uh, just days before January 6th with with Mr. Trump, members of Congress. Really? Who? Which ones? Attorneys for the Trump reelection campaign and some 300 state and local officials to discuss the goal of overturning certain states' electoral college results on January 6, 2021. That's one of the reasons why they need to talk to Mark Meadows. He knows all of that stuff. And apparently a whole lot of people know all of this stuff and they knew it a long time, uh, even before January 6th. We are just learning about it now. So, uh, you know, I, I never thought I'd say it, but I think Liz Cheney is right. Do not be misled. President Trump is trying to hide what happened on January 6th. We will not let that happen, she said. The truth will come out. Well, I hope that it will. And I hope the media and I hope the Democrats in Congress start calling it for what it is. An attempt to steal a presidential election. No more and no less than that. A coordinated attempt to steal the election. You bet it was we got to get out. We'll talk more about this in the days ahead, I'm quite certain, even on tomorrow's broadcast. Until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our board operator, Federico Garcia, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. Drop me an email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me at the Bradblog. See you there until we see you here, hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.